morning, everyone. Welcome to Recovery House of Worship, Brooklyn. It's a joy to be with you all. Um, it's always, when you show up early and think, hey, there's going to be five of us and it's going to be great. And then you get up on the stage and there's a hundred of us and we're like, okay, it's great. Um, as a pastor, uh, my name is Pastor Zach, for any of the guests. Um, I have the joy of being one of the pastors here and uh, it's just a joy to be with us this morning. As a pastor, one of the things that we have to work at is really trying to get a sense of the pulse of where we are as a church, right? And so as we're just kind of going through these sermons during the summer, um, one of the things that I'm just being very aware of is trying to be in as many spaces as I can to just hear, how are we doing? How are we doing? What, what are we wrestling with? What is going on in our lives? The second part of this, as uh, many good pastors and leaders and teachers through generations um, have said. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, particularly, who has written a number of devotionals uh, that I've used over the years, and he said this way, what my family, by extension, what my family, what my church, what my city, what my world needs is my own personal holiness. Is my own personal holiness. And so anything that I'm teaching or saying this morning is gonna have to flow out of the things that I need to change or address or think about as God is bringing it to my attention. And so it's always these two things, right? Where, where are we as a church? What are the things that we need to hear? What are the things that potentially we need to change or address in our lives? And then what, what is God doing in me? What is God doing in me? And so this, this particular sermon um, this morning for us flows out of both of those things, right? Things that God has been putting his finger on in my life, and also things that I've heard, things that I think we need to, to hear as a church. But it's beautiful in these moments. I, I love art. Um, some of this is my, my wife having inspired me with fresh eyes to see the world in different ways. But art has this beautiful way of just showing us things in some ways we may not have sought or thought about it before. So there's a picture up on, should be a picture up on the screen for us. Um, and this is a, an art exhibit that went out. It's been up, is it up for you, me first? Don't have it coming? See if we can get it up. Is it up? Coming? Is it coming? All right. So it's this art exhibit that was up in the neighborhood. Uh, if you live in the area on Atlantic Avenue, where usually where um, where those green walls go up, you know, when construction's happening. Uh, as a as an activist and organizer, I'm always very leery when I see those green walls go up because that means development's happening, which large, usually means that rent's going up and people are being displaced. So. I'm very leery of those green walls. But one thing that's been happening over a number of years is that these green walls have been, been spaces for artists. So there's been these art exhibits that have gone up. And I really love that because what it does is, here we go, here we go, thank you. Thank you so much, Liz, for the hard work. So this is one that I really love. This was up just down the street on Atlantic as you're heading towards uh, the Brooklyn Bridge Park, and it was I Smile. So we had this up around the city. And what he was inviting people to do was have a picture taken with their mask on and then with their mask off, right? Because here's the sense, and I love that it was called I Smile because the way in which we had to interact with people often during the pandemic was with our eyes, right? But we're not always good at smiling with our eyes, right? Because sometimes we don't have it in us, right? Fake it till you make it, right? And what I really liked about this exhibit was a couple of different um, artists had this sort of similar idea. What I liked is, you know, the, the one, the couple in the middle, right? The couple, the, the view in the middle, like, you just would have never known that that beautiful smile was hiding behind that mask, right? You would have never thought that that beautiful smile was hiding behind that mask. And oh, how we've missed some of that during the pandemic. To be able to see someone's face, right? Why this is important for us is because we get ourselves into trouble in these moments. And what I was thinking about in, these, in, this, in this space was this idea of assumptions that we make about people. Assumptions that we make about people. And how much the pandemic has accelerated and accentuated this idea because I'm making an assumption about someone when I can only see half their face. 
how they're doing, what they're thinking, what's going on in their life, and I'm only seeing half of their face. But oh, how quickly we do this, right? I only know, at best, half the story in their life, half the situation, half of the reality. And I make an assessment and a judgment about that person in terms of who they are, what they're about, and what's going on. And if we're honest, those assumptions usually aren't good ones. They're bad ones. They're bad ones. And so we have to recognize that what happens in this life is so much of the friction that relates to the things that are going on in our relationships in the world are by us making assumptions about other people. Judgments, criticisms about other people. Assuming people's appearances, feelings, attitude with less than all the facts. A mask is on and we only see half the face. A situation presents and we only know half the story. And so today we're going to think about what it means for us to understand the reality. Because here's the thing. We're going to continue to exist in friction and tension in our relationships when we continue to allow assumptions to creep into our hearts and minds. You are going to continue to have relational friction in your life if you continue to allow assumptions to creep in or to front the conversations that we have with folks in our lives. And so we need to hear and see the message and lesson of Jesus for how we address these areas in our lives. The second thing for us, as I'm always thinking about this, is there's twofold instruction for us as a church in these moments. One is this. We have to practice this in here. Practice this in here. Because what we practice in here, we can promote out there. If we want to be a community that loves one another well, we have to start in here because this should be the place where we can practice among folks who love us and are for us so that when we go out to a world that's hostile, we know how to maneuver with love. What we practice in here, we can then promote out there. So we recognize today that this, this text, this section of scripture is about helping us to understand that we create divisions by assumptions. We create divisions by assumptions. It's, a, it's a, sort of a play on words. Remember, you've heard the term addition by subtraction, right? We create divisions by assumptions. Divisions by assumptions. And to do this, we're going to look at a familiar text. One of my favorite texts in the scripture and a number of things that can be taught from this text. But I'm going to invite us to stand. We're going to hear God's word read to us. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, I'm reading from John 4, verses 4 to 27. John 4, verses 4 to 27. And it says this. Why we stand is because we recognize if nothing else happens this morning... God has spoken from his word to his people. And so we receive it with reverence by standing together. Starting in verse 4, it says, He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon... A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God had for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. 
But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to, of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here in Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking with her? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Divisions by assumptions. Divisions by assumptions. Again, if you've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes we even come to a text with assumptions that lead us to miss some of the things that Jesus is trying to do in these moments. And here's one of them. Why would Jesus be asking these, this woman these questions? He knows everything about her. We know this from the text. He knows things about her that she hasn't even presented in the conversation. So why would Jesus be asking these questions of this woman? He knows everything. He knows everything about her. He knows everything about me. Because he's trying to teach us something about how we approach people. We should approach people with questions and not assumptions. Judge, not judgments, but curiosity. Concern, not criticism, right? He's teaching us something about how to enter into conversations with people that will produce the kind of transformation that Jesus is offering. It's important for us to understand this. Jesus didn't need to ask these questions. He knew everything about this woman. He could have started a pointed conversation from the jump with this woman at the well because he knew her, her entire life. He could have gone right for the jugular, right from the beginning. But he's modeling something through this interaction for us about how we break down walls. How we have fruitful conversations and productive relationship with others. We practice this as a community so we can promote this in the world. Jesus is teaching us something about what it means to break down walls. But we are so quick to divide by assumptions, to assume certain things, to assume certain perspectives. And the first is, it's interesting because Jesus is modeling something again in this text for us, is the first assumption that we often make that creates division in our life is we assume we don't need help. We assume that we don't need help. And Jesus is cutting the leg on this whole conversation because if you have your Bible open, Jesus comes into this conversation tired and weary. Tired and weary. The king of the universe comes into this conversation with need. Let that sink in for a minute. The God who created the universe, the one who knows and owns all things, the one who made the universe with his voice is tired and needs a drink in this moment. And so before he enters into conversation with this woman about her need, he invites her to serve him. We assume we don't need help. I got this. I'm good. 
I can manage, I can deal, I've got this. I'm on lock, I don't need your help. If anyone in the entire universe had the out clause like that, it was Jesus, because Jesus literally could snap his fingers and make the bucket come up by itself. <laughs> he didn't need the woman. He's inviting her in. And so often we don't invite people in because we think we can manage on our own. We can manage on our own. We live in this culture of radical individualism that says, it's about me, it's for me, I got this. And we hurt ourselves and we don't build community because here's the reality. When we don't invite others in to help us in those moments, we rob both of us. We rob us of the opportunity to be blessed and we rob them of the opportunity of being a blessing. We assume we don't need help. We create division. We're telling you, I don't need you. you. Maybe you're not important. I don't have need of you in this moment. You don't have what's necessary. All these assumptions we make in these moments. We don't need help. In fact, again, I know what's being said in this, but just it's sort of baked into our American psyche with the declaration of what? independence right we have been taught a lie that we're supposed to pursue individual freedom and Jesus and, and the scriptures never make that declaration when the scriptures are inviting us into relationship it's inviting us into relationship meaning I don't have all that's necessary for my life I don't have all the capacities and the goals and everything that's needed in my life. I need others around me to help me. And so I create divisions. This is confrontational for me. I'm, I run the breakfast on, on Monday, Tuesday, and Friday, um, and then help with the grocery pantry on Saturday. And you'll see me, if you've been around, you'll see me just running around, running around, running around, making sure everything's being looked after, right? And a gentleman who's in this room this morning pulled me aside, he's pulled me aside a couple times, and said, look, Zach, there are other people who want to help you with doing this stuff. You just have to ask. You just have to ask. How many of us are trying to live our life on our own, and there's people around us who want to help us, and we're like, no, nah, I'm good. No, nah, I'm good. We create division. Because those people, after enough time, will just continue to take a step back saying, okay, you don't want me, you don't need me. You don't want me, you don't need me. We assume we don't need help, and we push people away. Divisions by assumption, by assuming we don't need help. Jesus is modeling something different. Before he's going to step in to help this woman, he's asking for her help. And in this moment... He's teaching us that we miss the opportunity to let others use their gifts, their talents, their abilities. This is a moment when in our need to call people in. We don't push people out, we call people in. Divisions by assumptions, we assume we don't need people's help. Secondly, though, we create divisions when we assume we understand someone. We assume we understand someone. Verse 9, and then this longer discussion, verse 21 through about 25, is this thing, understanding. This woman thinks she understands religion. She thinks she understands Jesus because Jesus fits into this category of what she thinks she understands about who Jewish people are. And Jesus is about busting paradigms, changing the narrative. Right? We think we understand what people believe, who they are, what their story is, and we don't know. We don't know. We live in a culture that is so quick to put people in boxes. Right? Christians are always like this. Muslims are always like this. Buddhists are always like this. Right? Atheists are always like this. And we have these assumptions, and so we go into this conversation, and we're not having a conversation with the person, we're having a conversation with the stereotype. We're not hearing a person 
we're hearing a, a blanket statement, right? A story that has been fabricated. We're not hearing this person's story. We're hearing a whole bunch of other stories put together that forms what we think this person should be. How a homeless person should act. How a, a black person should think, right? What a, what a Spanish person should like. How a woman should behave, right? How do we, we step into these conversations assuming we think we understand? The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, and yet here's Jesus. Jewish man interacting with Samaritan woman and watched how Jesus maneuvers because he regularly does this. Why are you hanging out with this person? You hanging out with sinners? Precisely. Precisely. We think we understand what people believe, who they are, what their story is. And this takes place in the most subtle of ways. It's not just what they believe, but who they are as a person. I might have told you this before. Um, my, be my beard's growing out now. I'm still debating of whether I want to keep it or not. I just hate shaving. Basically, that had some boils down to I hate shaving. Um, and so I have very sensitive skin. It's just, it's just a not a good thing. So I, I just don't like shaving. So I get to this place where my beard, my mustache grows long enough where you can't see my top lip, right? You can't see my top lip. So people assume a lot of the time I'm just not smiling because I can't see my top lip. And then I have these thicker eyebrows and I live in my mind a lot, right? So if you can't see my top lip and my eyebrows are often furrowed, you walk around and people will often think that I'm angry. They often think that I'm angry, but they don't know what's going on in my mind. They don't know what's going on in my mind. And for years, my wife has had these conversations with people, with people that make assumptions about me without me having even said a word. Without even having said a word. They think they know me because they've seen my face. This is why I am so passionate about racial justice. People will make an assumption about you based on the color of your skin, the clothing that you wear, the gender that you have, the place that you live, the money that you do or don't have. They'll make an assumption about where you're sitting on the bus. We create divisions when we think we know those stories. We think we know who that person is. We think we know how that goes. And Jesus is about busting those paradigms. I'm going to tell you, later he says, believe me in verse 21, dear woman, a time is coming when we'll no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. We think we've got it all figured out. Christianity ought to look like this. Worship ought to look like this. Prayer ought to look like this. Church ought to look like this. You know, Bible reading ought to look like this. All these things. Dancing ought to look like this. All these things. It has to look like this. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the humanity in this moment. It's not about us fitting all into boxes. It's about us enjoying the differences that draw us into relationship with one another so we can understand each other, listen to each other, celebrate each other. We assume we understand someone. We assume we understand who they are, what their story is, right? When Jesus is uncovering this woman's story, a lot of people have made assumptions about this woman. That's why she's at the well at this time. She's looking for love in all the wrong places. But that's not her deepest issue. Her deepest issue is not that she needs a man. Her deepest issue is that she's looking for love. Jesus understands this. So we assume we understand someone's situation. We assume that we know why this person is struggling with addiction. We assume we understand why this person's not in church. We assume why, we understand why this person is angry. We assume we under, and we've never asked the question. We've never asked the question. Again, as Christians today, we have our work cut out for us. For some people, this is scary. But for me, it's encouraging. Right? Because I'll have conversations with people based on what the world is telling people Christians are like. And then I'll ask the people, do you, what do you think a Christian ought to look like? 
What do you think Jesus is like? And I'll hear them say this, and I'll say these have these conversations. That's not the Jesus I know. That's not the Jesus I know. That does, I, that's not what being a Christian is about for me. But I have to ask the question so I can hear what they think a Christian is like. Right? What they think, they, they have a preconceived idea of what church and all these things are supposed to be like. I think I understand someone until I have a conversation. A conversation with someone. I don't come in with assumptions. We have to have these conversations so we can understand each other, learn from each other, help each other, be in situations where we become, and this is, again, I'm going to say this a number of times, and this is mistakes that I've made over so many years that have had implications in relationships. I was discipled by a pastor who will remain nameless because maybe you like him and I don't want to have time to deconstruct it right now, but I was discipled by a pastor in the beginning who, t- who taught me that Christianity ought to look a very certain way. And if you fell outside of that very certain way, you were out of the camp. You were out of the camp. And so I had a lot of people, you know, um, for, you know, it's like Calvinists and Arminians and, you know, charismatics and conservatives and all these things. And so, like, you were in this camp, and if you were not in this camp, then you were, you were like, uh, you were suspect. You were suspect. And it became like this very, very problematic place in my heart where I, I couldn't see the humanity and the, and the Jesus reflection in that person because they didn't fit into my paradigm, into my understanding. And so I became very critical. Causing friction and division in relationships with people around me. And so Jesus had to confront me to help me see, Zach, you need to be more curious than critical. Curious than critical. Going to Buddhist friends, going to Muslim friends, and helping them understand, like, help, help me understand. Like, help me understand why you believe what you believe. Help me understand why it is you've come to these conclusions. Right? A, a very powerful book on evangelism, because this is the evangelistic thrust. When we have these sort of conversations that Jesus is having with this woman, right, it invites intimacy and connection and openness. One of my favorite books on evangelism is a book called Questioning Evangelism by a guy named Randy Newman, and he worked in college ministry for a long time. And he shares the story, he uses this text and a number. When you look at the way Jesus interacts with folks, it's often around questions. So Jesus is uncovering people's desires and hearts and motives and worldviews by asking questions. So he helped the disciples see this is where the fruit comes. Because you're able to attach hope to the real perspectives, to the real struggles, to the real life. So... Randy Newman shares the story, and maybe you're in this space where he's in, in this Bible study. Most of his work's on campus, and so he's leading this Bible study. He's been invited in to lead this Bible study with, with these college students. And, and one of the people in the dorm invites their atheist friend to the Bible study. And Randy doesn't know this, so they're in this conversation. And the, and the conversation's, you know, going around and around, and the issue of hell comes up, okay? And the, the atheist becomes very upset, very animated, He's like, how can you believe in a God that, that has created hell, that believes, that sends people to hell? How can you, that seems so cruel, and how could you believe in a God who, that, that, the Bible that talks about this and believes in all this, how can you be a Christian and believe in the idea of hell? So Randy's listening and listening and listening for a long time, and after a while, just with great patience and, and love and, and, and for listening, he, he, he turns to this, the student and says, you're, you're an atheist, right? And he said, yes, yes, of course, yes, yes. And he says, like, so you don't believe in God? And he said, no, no, why, why would I believe in this kind of God? And he's like, and, and he's saying this with the most patient, loving sort of response possible. He's like, so why do you care? Like, if you don't believe in God, and you don't believe there's a heaven and a hell, then why do you care? Like, genuinely, I want to, I'm, I'm trying to understand. If you don't believe there's a hell, then why are you so upset about this? Right? Because you don't believe any of this is real. So why is it so concerning to you? And the atheist was like dumbfounded. Like, I, like you know, I, so Randy's just trying to, in this moment, like, have a consistent worldview. It, it shouldn't upset you because you don't believe in any of this. 
So I'm just trying to understand why you're so upset by us believing in something you don't believe in. If you don't believe in it, that's fine. You don't have to believe in it. But why are you so upset by it? What ends up happening is the, the, friend, the friend who brought the atheist was, had been kind of like looking, looking for Jesus, who was not a Christian, but looking for Jesus, actually became a Christian because they were confronted with that reality. Why was this person so upset? And had to do this self-assessment about, I have to ask these questions myself. What happens to, when we die? Where do we go? What does God expect of us? What does a relationship with God look like? But it came by asking a question. See, I assume I understand why someone won't come to church or won't believe in Jesus or believes what they believe or understands what they understand, but I've never asked the question. Jesus is showing us this, asking the question. Go get your husband. Oh, you don't have a husband. You're right, you don't, because you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And I want to teach you about where love is found, where love is found. We assume and create divisions when we assume we don't need help, when we assume we understand someone, and finally, when we assume we know it all. When we assume we know it all. Right? This woman seems like she's got life all figured out, which, again, sounds crazy coming from her, right, when you recognize who she is, and we all are there, right? So unless we all think, no, no, I, I, I would never do that. I would never do that, right? We all have gaps. We all have blind spots. But this understanding is we assume we know it all. This woman is like, okay, well, you know, worship looks like this, and Jewish people look like this, and I look like this, and you look like this, and this goes this way, and this goes that way. I mean, she seems like she's got it all figured out. And yet she can't understand what Jesus is talking about when he's offering her living water. It doesn't make sense to her. She's like, where are you going to get this living water? You don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a bucket. What are you talking about? You don't, you've come to me asking for help, and you're going to give me this magic water, and you don't even have a bucket. We assume we know it all. And then Jesus comes in, and I've said this so many times in conversations and in discipleship and the way we do things. Here's the reality. Jesus is regularly going to have to confuse us before he cares for us. He's going to have to confuse us before he cares for us. Jesus is going to do things in our life that don't make sense so he can draw us into a deeper relationship with him. Because we think we understand how life works until we don't. Until we don't. Right? We're going along down the street, think we've got it all figured out, and then life hits us like a ton of bricks. I think I have life all figured out until I don't. Until I don't. We live like we have life all figured out. This is how prayer works. This is how church works. This is how life works. This is how my job works. This is how my finance works. This is how my health works. This is how my recovery works, right? We think we have it all figured out until we don't. Until something reminds us that we don't know all things. That we don't know everything. That we're not always in control. Life does this to us. And particularly, God will do this to us to remind us, I am on the throne. I am on the throne. You are not on the throne of your life. I am on the throne. It's not about thinking, you know. And again, it's like, it, we let this sink into our Christianity, right? It's like, God, I'm praying this way three times a day, five times a day, ten times a day. I'm fasting. you got to come through. Right? I'm there, right? I'm doing this right now, praying hard about some things. And God's like, I'm not a genie. I'm not going to give you what you want when you want it. Uh, there's a song um, on, on a CD. I think I've mentioned this before, but um, he says, it's not a the, the refrain is, it's not a building you want to fill, it's my heart. This empty space is what you've wanted all along. He's after my heart. My heart. He's not just about like giving me what I want so I can go on my merry way. He's about 
transforming me from the inside out. So how do we cut the legs on these assumptions? I don't need people's help. I think I understand people. I think I know it all. How do we then, in view of what Jesus is offering, because right in the middle of all of these assumptions that this woman's making about Jesus, that Jesus is trying to confront in this woman carefully, he offers hope to this woman. Verse 11 and on. Verse 13 specifically. You see, and this is what um, a pastor friend has said in terms of how we think about church. See, we build wells, not walls. We build wells, not walls. So how do we cut down assumptions in our lives? We commune at the well. We commune at the well. Because Jesus is offering living water, living water for us. Water that transforms us, his life that transforms us from the inside out so that we can see ourselves, others, and God more clearly. Those are where the assumptions come in. I see others, myself, and God distortedly. And so God has to renew and wash me clean to see differently, to hear differently, to maneuver differently. We commune at the well. Jesus offers us living water that transforms us from the inside out, changes our perspectives, our attitudes, our ideas about ourselves, about others, about God. And he does this in a couple of ways. We commune at the well. We come to him. And first, this is about vulnerability. Now, again, uh, John Tyson leads a church in New York. He, he did a series in Colossians, and he was, it came up on my Instagram feed. He did this a couple of years ago. And he talked about this idea of vulnerability. And this is what this woman's experiencing. We think vulnerability is just being honest. Right? We think that vulnerability is just being honest. I can come in and be honest with people. No, no. The word vulnerability in the Latin and the Greek actually means a willingness to be cut. Now think about this woman. What happens in this moment's life, this woman's life, is that through this communing with Jesus, her life is cut open. Her life is cut open. In fact, in verse 29, as she becomes the evangelist a little later on, which is crazy to me, right? Think about this. This is the evangelistic thrust of her moment with Jesus, verse 29, after having communed at the well. Come and meet this man who told me everything I did in my life. No thanks. I don't want anyone airing my dirty laundry in front of anybody. Come and hear this man who knows everything about me. No, no thank you. No, no, you can keep that to yourself. But why is she so excited? Why is she so excited about that sort of interaction? Because when she's cut open, the living water can flow in and transform her from the inside out. As the song has said, we already sung it, right? He knows the depths of my heart and loves me. He cuts me open. Vulnerability is being cut open to see all of the wounds and all of the scars and all the darkness and all the pain and all the suffering and all the sin so that Jesus can flood his transformation in. We commune at the well. We commune at the well. Vulnerability, a willingness to be cut open by Jesus so his water can transform us on the inside. Many people will never get there. I just want to be honest. And Jesus says, no, I've got to cut you open. I've got to cut you open. We commune with the well around vulnerability. We commune at the well around humility. Admitting I don't have all the answers. Admitting I don't know everything. Admitting that I need help. This is how it can be commune at the well. Jesus is offering something to this woman. Give me this water so I will no longer thirst. Admitting that I'm going to keep going to this well again and again and keep being thirsty. And she's not, he's not talking about the well. He's talking about the men. I want to give you something that will lead to you never feeling thirsty. Right? We have to come humbly and say, Jesus, what you're offering is what I need because I can't find it anywhere else. I can't find it anywhere else. 
We commune at the well around vulnerability and willingness to be cut open and allow Jesus' water to flood into our life, to transform us, to change us from the inside out. Instead of dividing over our differences, we come humbly under Jesus and allow him, because again, remember, we live in a world that says, look, I'm gonna div- we're going to divide. You're going to be in this camp, I'm going to be in this camp, and never will the two camps meet. I'm going to believe this, you're going to believe that, and never the two camps meet, right? And I was listening to this, I feel like sometimes, I, 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 I have Instagram friends, friends, so just be aware of what's going on out in the world, but man, it's more tempting than helpful a lot of the time. And there's this author who's talking about this idea of love. Now, this is a woman who was married to a man whose husband cheated on her and then decided in the midst of discovering that her husband had cheating on her that she actually loved a woman and wanted to pursue a relationship with a woman. Okay? I'm not going to get into that whole thing today. That's a whole other bag. But in the midst of this, she's talking about this idea of having her family not understand that she had been pursuing this relationship with a man, and now she's pursuing this relationship with a woman. And she's like, why can't my family just accept me? If they don't love me with the love I have for my my new wife, then they don't love me. And my response to that is, making someone accept everything about you is not love. It's tyranny. That's tyranny. If you have to love everything that I love, that's tyranny. That's forced. And so Jesus wants us to understand that when you come into a relationship with me, I'm not going to love everything about you. (laughs) There's things that need to go. Or things that need to change. I'm going to need to cut you open to see that there's things that you think are good that are not. There's things that you want that are bad. There's things that you're pursuing that need to stop. Because I love you. Because I love you. So he's not cutting us open to leave us to bleed out. He's cutting us open so that he can actually do the heart work inside us so that we can learn to love differently and live differently. Because this is the beautiful thing. Lastly, I love the New Living Translation, particularly when Jesus is giving this instruction to this woman, right in verse 14. We commune at this well, right? Instead of creating divisions that say, I don't need you, instead of creating divisions that say, I know you when I don't, or I know everything and I don't need your help, I've got life figured out, We commune around this well where Jesus invites us to be vulnerable, to cut open our assumptions, to cut open our understandings, to cut open our misunderstandings of how life works, to to be humble before him, to realize I need help, is this transformation that occurs, okay? And this is, again, the evangelistic thrust, the way in which we go out. Verse 14 in, in the New Living Translation, but whoever drinks this water, drinks from this water that I give, will never... Thirst again, get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up, springing up, or as the New Living Translation says, bubbling up from them, springing up within them. You see, when we have this encounter with Jesus, when we recognize who he is and what he's done and what he's offering, it's not going to be something we're going to want to keep to ourselves. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be accepted. Everyone wants to be welcomed and invited to the party. And this woman was at the well because no one was inviting her to the party. No one wanted to be around her. No one wanted to be with her. They were making assumptions about her and were ready to cast her off, to shut her out, to throw her to the side. And Jesus was having a conversation with saying, I'm inviting you to be with me. It's going to hurt in the beginning because I'm going to have to do some heart work in you. But I'm inviting you to be transformed. It's going to bubble up. This woman can't help herself. Again, she's running off to the streets. Come and meet this Jesus. Come and meet this Jesus. Come and meet this Jesus. He's cut her open. She's had a profound meeting with Jesus where she's been confronted by the reality of her sin. And yet she's going out to declare the love and the wonder and the beauty of Jesus because this living water has washed her clean from the inside out. I'm forgiven by this Jesus. 
I'm accepted by this Jesus. I'm welcomed by this Jesus. I'm invited by this Jesus. We commune at the well. We want to be a community that comes around Jesus. We can be on different sides of ethnicities, of cultures, of political affiliations, of sports teams, of whatever those things. We can commune around the well because we say at the end of the day, you know what it's about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Who he is, what he's done, what he offers us. Transforms us from the inside out with a love that says, you know what? I can disagree with you about political affiliations. I can disagree with you about, you know, gender issues. I can disagree. You know what I want to do is I want to understand you. I want to understand you. That's where it starts. I want to ask questions. I want to be curious about who you are, what you're about, what you believe. And I can love you even when I disagree with you about important things. We want to be a community that comes together around Jesus. This isn't about agreeing about everything, but learning to understand, to see the world from another person's perspective. Because that's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel is. God coming down to take on flesh, to understand humanity. The beauty of the incarnation was God not staying up in heaven, separate from us, but entering into the nitty-gritty realities of humanity and saying, I want to understand people on the ground. I want to hear and see and taste and feel what it likes to be a human being. So I can redeem them from a deep understanding of what it means to be human. We commune around the well of Jesus who meets there, meets us there, to change us. And so as we close today, we come around the table. We literally come around the table. As you come, as you came in this morning, you should have received a bag. Did you, if you didn't receive a bag, are there extras? If you need one, there should be some ushers there to make sure we have a couple of extras. This is literally how we have opportunity when we gather to commune at the well. To commune at the well. You should have received a little cup and a piece of bread because Jesus gave us this instruction on, on the night he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed. Because what this table, what these two little elements, this, this cup and this bread is reminding us of is we come together for Jesus. For Jesus. With Jesus. Because of Jesus. And this, this is for people who have come to that place. Come to that place. And so as Pastor Edwin has said so just wonderfully as we prepare regularly for this table, is if you are a Christian, this is for you. Because what you're doing in this moment is, I'm saying, Jesus, it's about you. My life is about you. I'm thankful for what you have done. I am not loved and accepted and welcomed and forgiven and cherished because of things I do, because I trust what you've done. Full stop. But if that's not you, that relationship with Jesus at the well where he wants to cut you open so he can pour his life into you, so you can know deep transformation and love and forgiveness, peace and joy that he offers, starts by saying, I admit, I am broken. I am broken. I cannot fix or change myself. I need help from outside of me. And so you can admit that right in your chair right now. I need you, Jesus. I need you to change my heart, my life today. Because I can't do it on my own. And secondly, it's about believing what he did. Not just admitting that I can't do it. Believing what he did. Jesus finished the work. He accomplished everything necessary to make us right with God. Everything. And so we believe in his work, his finished work to make us right with God, to bring us into relationship, to forgive us and change. We believe that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we could be restored and redeemed and changed. So you believe and then you commit because this is not a one-time deal. Following Jesus means tomorrow you get up and you follow Jesus. 
It means the next day you get up and follow Jesus. Not with perfection, but with purpose and saying, I want to live for him. I want to listen to him. I want to receive from him. I want to tell people about him. So if that's you, you can take this cup for the first time today by admitting, by believing, and by committing your life to Jesus. And so the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians, as Paul reminds us from the instructions of Jesus, it says in verse 23, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. That he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take this bread together to remember Jesus' body broken for us. It says later in verse 25, in the same way he took the cup of wine for us as juice to be reminded no one needs to feel tempted or worried about taking the cup today. This is grape juice. So we can all be welcome to take the cup this morning. Have to say it. The cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. We take this cup and remember the blood of Jesus shed for us now. And so Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're patient with us as we make our assumptions. We assume we don't need help and we miss the opportunities to be blessed and invite others in. We assume we understand people and we keep people at bay and we hurt them by not listening to them. And we assume we know everything and then you confuse us and we end up frustrated. So help us commune at the well. Jesus, cut things out of our lives. Cut us open in fresh ways. It's painful but necessary where your water of life can flow into us so we can be transformed of peace and joy in knowing how much you love us and want to change us from the inside out. And help us to go out bubbling with life to offer people not perfection but an invitation to meet the one who forgives, who loves, who is kind and patient with us as we assume so often. You're patient with us and love us in the midst of our impatience. We thank you for all this. Lead us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name.